From their humble beginnings on a cattle station in the Kimberley of Western Australia, Ringers Western's inspiration comes from their roots. Ringers pride their brand on being tough, adaptable, sometimes cheeky, but always offers you class and loyalty. These principles, along with a high standard of design and quality, set Ringers Western way ahead of the mob. Personally, three quarters of my wardrobe is Ringers and the majority are their jackets. With winter coming soon, head to ringersweston.com to check out the range and get yours today. We are back with another episode of Reminisce with Jaden. We're very lucky today to be joined by Oscar Ledland. He's the founder of Ledland Developments. You also do Ledland Build. Uh, you're also a co-founder of Let's G Up, the new uh, vodka mixer drink. Uh, thank you for coming on. Jaden, pleasure to be here, mate. Thank you for having me. We uh, we met maybe two, three years ago at a, at a boxing event. We were sitting there ringside and um, I think I might have been sitting next to you actually and um, obviously got to know each other that night and then I followed you on Instagram and I see all your stuff. You're very vocal on posting what you're doing, where you're going, all that sort of stuff. A loud mouth. Yeah. yeah <laughs> no, it's great to see. And um, through that, um, I've just recently bought one of your one of your factories off you. Um, how did you get started in the development business? Yeah, mate. It's um, I was actually thinking about this just recently. It's it's been a, a very long journey now. But I started, would you believe it or not, as a concreter's labourer. My dad was a concreter, so I worked part time for him on job sites uh, through high school. You know, on weekends, stuff like that. And then um, I went off and did a business degree, continued uh, working for him, concreting and a couple other part-time jobs while I finished my degree. Then at the end of my degree, uh, my dad said, you know, you you make a great concreter. Um, (laughs) Do do you want to get, you know, stuck into this seriously? And I said, dad, I appreciate everything you've done for me, but I'm going another direction. I'm going to be a property developer. So um, I'd scouted a little two lot uh, block that I'd found in my local area when I was running because I was boxing professionally at the time and, and doing a lot of running. So I, um, I went into the bank and I'd saved up a deposit uh, working for my old man and, and these other part-time jobs. Went into the bank, nearly slapped the money on the table and said, <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, here to, I'm here to buy this block and, and be a developer. And uh, the lovely bank manager politely told me that I couldn't show what I now know is, is called serviceability, which I, I had the deposit for, for the block of land. But um, because my income was part-time, very sporadic, um, I couldn't show serviceability. So I said, oh, oh, what do I do? And she said, oh, you got to come up with another way. So I was like, all right, I'll come up with something. I went back and that afternoon I registered Ledland Developments Proprietary Limited online. That like, day you yeah, that afternoon. Went there and- yeah, I just went online. I was like, <laughs> how do I register a company? And I, you know, it was 600 bucks, did it online. I was like, I'm a businessman now. So I went back the next day and I was like, I'll speak to the business man- business banking manager today. It was actually the same chick. It was only a small branch. So <laughs> she sat down and she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm here to borrow some money. And she's like, I already told you. I'm like, no, I want a business loan now because I'm a business. And she said, you know, you've got a 24 hour old company, no trading history, no references. <laughs> you can't borrow money in your business. And I was like, shit, what am I going to do? And she's like, oh, do you have somebody who can go guarantor on your loan? I was like, oh, what does that mean? She's like, somebody who can show serviceability. I was like, oh, not really. So I went back and I had a chat to my old man. I was like, listen, I've got the deposit. This is what I want to do. Um, you can show you've got income. You've got consistent income. Do you want to partner up? And he was like, look, I'll, um, I'll partner with you, but on the proviso that we do something commercial because commercial jobs have more concrete than residential and and I can pull the concrete, you know? And I was like, oh, <laughs> so if you're going to make money, here's his yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, too, yeah. yeah, he was like, oh, you know, we'll get it cheaper and all that sort of stuff. So, um, that's a that, fair trade off. That was the segue out of residential into commercial. And, uh, you know, 10 years later, um, we are 
purely a commercial developer. So we specialize in, in commercial property. We don't do any residential. And um, if it wasn't for that little pivot, you know, it could have gone a whole different way. It's amazing the support our parents can give us and, and lead us in the right direction. Um, I was very fortunate the same when I bought my first house, I was looking at like the 1.4, $1.5 million range and found a nice place. So yeah, this is a one. And then the property I ended up buying came on the market for 1.65 and I'm like, I'm going to be like seven, dollars $18,000 short here, like for the de- extra deposit. Yeah. And I said to mum and dad, I was like, I love this house that done. And they put in an extra 17,000 or whatever it was I needed. Amazing. I was able to pay that back off real quick. But yeah. the support they give to, to let us live our dreams and live the life we want to want to live is, is just amazing. Yeah. You've obviously had that support. Absolutely. Yeah. I've definitely, I've definitely had that support at the time when, um, when I started Ledland, my parents had actually just separated. So, um, they, whatever assets or asset they had before the separation, they had to sell and split in half. So, um, there wasn't a lot of cash available at the time from my dad's end, but he did have, you know, trading history of his small business for a long time, which definitely helped. And he had a lot of experience in the construction industry. And I, I never, I never would have got the start I had if I didn't have him sort of looking over my shoulder saying, you know, I, I know a bit more about this, or I can introduce you to someone there or something like that. So yeah, definitely, and you're definitely about- grateful for that. You're about 22, 23 at this time when you're, when you're getting started. Yeah. yeah it's amazing exactly. for such a young person to have that drive and not, not only the drive, but the knowledge to, to do something like this. It's quite a risk. Like developing is risky. Um, is it something that you've always had where you were trying to make little entrepreneurial businesses at school, selling chocolates, that sort of stuff? Or? Yeah. I mean, I definitely, I definitely was. I did, you know, the lemonade stand and um, I had my first part-time job when I was 12 working in a local Thai restaurant. Um, getting paid ten dollars an hour cash, which was actually incredibly That's pretty good. Yeah, it was <laughs> really really good back then. Um, I still remember putting my hand in the bottom of the sink and the rice and stuff. It was it was not a not a glamorous job, but um, yeah, I was always always hungry to to progress um through all avenues of my life, be it whether whether it was sporting or um you know, I, I was I wasn't a great student. Um, in terms of behavior at school, but I was pretty academic. I got good grades. Teachers didn't like me, but I got, got good <laughs> grades and, and I was pretty focused. But, um, and then, yeah, the second I was able to start pursuing income, I, I was out there um, hustling as much as I could. And obviously, Ledland Developments has gone a long way since then. We'll, we'll come back to that. You touched on your professional boxing for a little bit. How did you uh, get into that line of sport, I suppose? To be honest, it was probably inspired by my old man again, you know, he always had a bit of a home gym and a a boxing bag, um, set up in the gym and he had a few amateur fights when he was younger. So, um, from, you know, eight years old, I always had a, um, spare pair of gloves in in the garage and he'd show me a few things and, um, would do some light sparring together and stuff like that. And once I was sort of 12, 13, old enough to, to decide what I wanted to do, I found myself, um, wanting to get into the boxing and, that just progressed over about a, a 10 year span, um, till when I turned 18, went professional, had a, um, a few really good fights, a couple of state titles. So, um, yeah, it was, I think it was a great, it was a great experience. And I think, um, uh, particularly that, I think any, any sport at a high level teaches, you know, teaches you a lot about yourself, but I think particularly combat sports to get in the ring in front of people and, um, you know, you're, your main objective and your opponent's main objective is to, to render you unconscious. I think, you know, it's, it's confidence building. That's for sure. And what was the, what was the height you got to? What was, what was your biggest fight? I mean, I've looked at a few fights on YouTube and like, you can seriously fight. You're sitting in there with your <laughs> scarf on and the hair all well done, but yeah. You, yeah, you could seriously box in that ring. What was the, what was the highlight of your boxing career? Um, I mean, I was, 
I was Victorian champion of uh, two weight divisions at once. That was um, that was probably the peak of my career, and that was um, when I called it quits. You know, I sort of finished on top, which um, which not a lot of boxers do. And uh, for the first few years after I retired, I I kept looking over my shoulder, being like, "Do I want to give it another Get crack?" Back. But yep. um, you know, I had I had some great fights, and and one was with a with a guy called Joel Camilleri, and we're still mates. But um, Joel, he was one of those real loud mouth fighters a great guy but he knew how to promote you know he had a youtube channel 10 years ago or or even even longer and um he was always building hype for fights so when when our fight was coming up you know he was posting on social media about how he's going to just yeah yeah yeah. massively and um and i had a big big following and so did he so you know we brought about um three or four hundred people uh together to this fight and i think there was about two thousand in the stadium and i remember being in the ring trying to hear my corner hear the direction of my corner and just the chant of the crowd. I couldn't hear them. I got yeah, back to the yeah. corner. I was like, oh, I couldn't hear what you were saying. Like, um, and then, and I beat Joel and, and, you know, that was the, the, uh, stadium went up in like a chorus of, of Oscar. And I was like, that was, that was a pretty unforgettable moment. It's an amazing sport where, uh, the rivalry between two people and the trash talk, like it doesn't really happen in any other sport, boxing, UFC, that sort of stuff. It's the only place it does happen. And, um, it certainly creates a bigger audience for the fans. I suppose a bigger audience, in terms of fans and um, touching on the boxing too, obviously boxing, we know the hard work that goes into it. You're preparing five, six, seven, eight weeks before camps. Um, and you've obviously gone out and then started these businesses. Hard work is in your DNA by the sounds of it. Yeah. And, and it's, um, it's something I've touched on before and I always chuckle when I talk about it, but you know, when, when I was 21, 22 years old and I was going into meetings after just starting my business, I was only dealing with people, you know, 40 to 60 years old. It's just, it's just the industry. And, um, I just remember sitting out the front of meetings about to go in. I'd be so nervous and I'd be like, Oh, what am I going to say? What if I forget what I'm doing and blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, you know what? It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, if, if push comes to shove, you could knock everyone out in the room and just walk out. And I'd be like, <laughs> like that's never going to happen. I'm not a violent person at all, but it was just something that I would tell myself just to be like, you know, I'm the man, you know, they should, they yep. should be nervous, not me. And then I'd walk into the meeting and shake hands politely and, and do all my <laughs> shit. But in the back of my head, I, it really like, it helped me to sort of have that, have that confidence very early on. And these people didn't know that they were one bad sentence away from getting <laughs> locked out. Yeah, no, and they definitely, they definitely won't and um, <laughs> don't promote violence. But no, yeah, it was, um, it was an interesting uh, frame of mind and it really helped me in, in those early days. No, that's fantastic. We'll, uh, we'll fast forward a little bit to your, your development side. You're very smart and, and nifty with, you've got your development, but then you've also got Leadland Build. So you contract yourself. Is that, is that how it works? Yeah, exactly. So um, Leadland Develop, they, you know, that, that business is, Buys the site, gets plans, permits, um, and then engages a builder, um, delivers the project, sells everything, settles it, and, and hopefully there's some money left at the end. <laughs> but rather than engage a third-party builder to deliver the build contract, um, we engage Leadland Build, which is um, my construction company as well. So it allows us to have you know real real close control over quality of the build, um, control over speed of the build and more so recently, more now than ever, I guess, um, allows us to sort of remove some risk of administration or liquidation. So, you know, builders are going broke every day of the week, every day of the week at the moment. And to be a developer, there's nothing worse than to be halfway through a build schedule with a third party builder. And they come to you and say, listen, we told you this was going to cost 22 million to build. We're halfway through and, you know, it's really going to cost 28. So, we're either going to go broke and you're going to have to get another builder in to finish it, which is going to cost you more or we've got to renegotiate or so. Um, There's definitely some advantages to have an internal building company. Yeah, certainly. It's a, it's a fickle business at times. Like you said, um, 
quitting half or stopping halfway and all that can really be hard on you and you sell these properties off the plan as well. So if that cost is going up, it means less money in your pocket. And at the end of the day, like you're trying to create a nice community of um, commercial property owners, but um, ultimately you've got to, you've got to create a bit of money for yourself too. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a commercial game, of yeah. course, and, and I'm trying to earn a living, but I think, yeah, definitely having that control and, and in the recent years, having visibility over construction cost increases has been massive as well, because, you know, anybody who's, who's um, watched the news in the last two years has seen construction costs have gone through the roof, but to have the real time insight into how quickly they're going up and, and what uh, materials are going up compared to others, it's, a, it's given us a clear competitive advantage as we move through our construction schedules. And you're very strong on when you're creating these things you've just finished or you're still finishing Springvale Business Park and uh, Vermont Business Park where I've, I've bought one off you. Um, some of the stuff you're putting in there is is very unique and, and very niche. You've got a car wash, dog wash, uh, postal service, mm. big um, terrace areas. What uh, encourages you to put all these extra amenities in there? Um, to, to be honest, we're very fortunate that the industry is moving so quickly. It allows us to be able to innovate. It's, you know, property development is one of the, the oldest traditions, oldest trades. But um, in recent times with the rise of e-commerce, which was, I guess, exacerbated by COVID um, at one point, you know, you could only shop online. So it really transitioned the consumer to buying more online. And with that, there's been the emergence of a lot of young e-commerce businesses. And we've found our niche in, in focusing, you know, in, in clearly focusing on that young entrepreneurial uh, business owner or, or tenant. And with that, we're able to just provide um, what has been called by a few media companies, Instagrammable finishes. So we like doing, you know, black taps, polished concrete floors. We're doing electric shear curtains as standard at Vermont. And, and like you said, you know, communal rooftop terrace, outdoor eating areas, the car wash, dog wash. It's just... Um, it's just catering to the demand of what the consumer really wants. And uh, I'm very lucky that I, I have a young team and um, our target market really is just an extension of us. So it's really easy to consider like, fuck, what do I want? You know, I want to be able to come out, you know, on a morning, grab my coffee, maybe go do a few emails from the rooftop terrace when it's a sunny morning like this or a Friday afternoon, grab a beer or, you know, I want to encourage collaboration and, and meet my neighbours and stuff. So whether it's bumping into each other on a Friday afternoon when we're cleaning our cars down in the car wash or or um, getting our mail from the mailroom or whatever it might be, it's just, um, it's really easy to consider what will work when you're part of the target market. And you're often a reflection of the people you hang around with and, um, like you just said, you're trying to build this great community where you may have 70, 80 businesses in there. And if they're all like-minded, they can then bounce off each other and take ideas from each other. So it's a great initiative that, that you're doing. Yeah. And I mean, and that's, that's the model too. And, um, and because I'm so passionate about that, it, it makes it uh, a lot easier to, to plan and, and to do day to day. But like what we've seen at, at Springvale Business Park, there'll be 147 uh, business owners in there once complete. I think there's 76 uh, in there at the moment. And um, to see them collaborating, you know, we I go down there and there'll be a dozen guys on a sunny afternoon riding around on their electric scooters. And um, there's a bit of a, a mother's club going on with, with all the female entrepreneurs in there because in the last couple of years, they've either all had a baby or or got a cavoodle. So there's a, there's a dog walking <laughs> club and stuff. like. It's just really cool to see, you know, and they had a um, they had a Christmas party last year that they invited us to and, you know, there's 50, 60 of us and um, we had 
someone playing music and a pig on a spit and stuff like that. And it's just really cool to see all these business owners. They're pumping each other up on social media and sharing each other's stuff. And um, it's just, yeah, it's really cool to be a part of. And you touch on the social media, obviously that's a that's a big part of it. And um, it's probably not too common in the development industry, but you you had your VIP launch night at the SB. That was a great night. It didn't didn't feel like a business night. It just felt like blokes having drinks, I suppose. And Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've... We've had a lot of success in uh, in recent years through social media, indirectly. You know, we don't often or, or I don't think we've ever really gone to social media and said, hey, here's a unit, this is the price, it's for sale or anything like that. You know, I just share very openly what we're doing and people reach out and be like, hey, I'd, I'd love to lease that or I'd love to explore buying one of these or whatever it might be. And, you know, we've, our, our Vermont project, I think we, we sold, it was about $70 million worth of property in, in one day and um, entirely generation through social media. So, um, you know, we, we launched our registration for that project at 10 o'clock and by 10.06, we were full up and done. Um, in six minutes. In six minutes, yeah. So Jeez. It's, um, it's definitely, it's, it's untapped by the wider developer market. You know, it's, it's an old industry. There's a lot of old guys that, you know, I imagine they're sitting back with gold Rolexes on, on their boats and I'm not somewhere off the Caribbean right now or, or in Italy or Greece or wherever, everything. But, um, yeah, we're, we're young, we're active. And I think the market's definitely responding to that, which is cool. Certainly. And as you touched on, you're very uh, vocal on, on your Instagram, especially, and you often do Q and A's and like, you will reply to 60 different Q&As and they're all there. You tap through all the stories and um, I'm intrigued every time I sit there, I uh, read all of them and um, take a good intent in what you say. Uh, one of your big strong points that you're, that you're strong on is renting and buying. Obviously, the Australian dream is go up, get a deposit, save as much as you can, put it on a house, pay that off as quickly as you can. Uh, but you've gone a different route. Yeah, I have and, and um, I continue to do that. I, I won't do that forever. And I always try and pretense these conversations and I hope you cut it up, mash it up, put it on social media and watch <laughs> it blow up. Um, just cutting out the important parts. But, you know, I don't have anything against buying your home or owning your home. I think it's, um, it's great for some people and there's a lot of pros um, to it. But for me at the moment, the cons outweigh the, outweigh the pros. And, and really it comes down to, I think um, if you buy a home for investment purposes, you either end up with a not ideal home or a shitty investment. Because when you're looking for a home for yourself, there might be a hundred things that you need to consider. You know, do you want to be in an apartment, townhouse, house and land? Do you have a dog? Where do you work? Where do your friends live? Where do your parents live? Geographically, how's that going to work? You want three bedrooms, four bedrooms? What's going to be ideal for you? Do you want a home office? There's a hundred things that you need to look at when you are trying to find the ideal home for Jaden. And then when you're looking for an investment, it's a similar, you know, hundred uh, checklist point criteria. You know, do you want something with capital growth? Do you want something with yield? Are you looking for depreciation benefits because you're a high income earner? Do you know, do you want multiple properties? And you've got these 200 checklists, checklists, 100 point checklists. What are the chances of those 100 adding up? You know, the one in 100 homes that you look at will be good for an investment and one in 100 will be good for you to home. Um, for those, the chances of those to line up, I think is, is um, very slim. And then aside to that, from an investment point of view, I just think there's there's so much better opportunity to put your money than in residential housing at the moment. And for me, um, with my business opportunities, it's a no-brainer. But for many people, and, and like you've found, there's there's higher yielding opportunities for your money than there is in a house. And, um, you know, you buy a house now and then you get married. So you need a bigger house. Then you have a kid, so you need to move again. And I think as a young person, particularly when our lives are maybe less established than 
people of our parents, you know, generation um, and, and their age. I think it just, it doesn't make sense to me. No, and you pay that much money in stamp duty moving around and that's probably the key aspect of renting that's, that's very good. You can, you can move wherever you want to be. So if you've got work in Northcote or you've got work in Bayswater, you can, you can sort of move with the times, which is, which is really handy. Exactly. You know, our life circumstances change so much more rapidly when, when younger and I'm just about to move into my fifth house in five years. Um, yeah, in, You'd be sick in about moving, four. Surely. Oh, mate, and and just the <laughs> no, I'm not because I get like a white glove removal service. I go to work in the morning and I come home to a different house in the afternoon, and like everything's done, everything's <laughs> packed back up, so it's not too bad. But from a financial point of view, every time you buy, you pay stamp duty, which is massive. Every time you sell, you've got to pay an agent and marketing fees and stuff like that, and you got um, solicitors' conveyances on both sides of it. So it's it's sort of seven and a half to eight percent. Um, when you buy and sell a house in terms of what it needs to go up just to, to break even. So not to mention, you know, um, the mortgage costs of entering and breaking mortgages and stuff like that. So, um, it's just inefficient to buy and sell properties really. So, um, if you're not going to be buying a home to move in, to settle down for at least, you know, five to seven years, I think that you're better off renting. And obviously the, the way that the world's forecasting at the moment, we've had interest rate rises, everybody's second month mm. at the moment and it's making it very hard. Um, do you, I was listening to another podcast you did and you said you were at a summit with some economists, econom, economists, <laughs> economists, there you go, uh, talking. What did you take out of that? Um, to be honest, what I take out of it is nobody really knows. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably, that's probably the, everything that these guys say is like, they're almost like sub, scientists when they're hypothesizing, you know, they it's a best guess. Um, and it's dependent on so many different factors that could, could go either way. So I think, um, and what my mentors advise me in times like this is, is don't be too quick to act. Don't take too much risk. Don't take on, you know, debt, uh, that you can't service in a higher interest rate environment if it's not a fixed interest. So, um, yeah, I mean, th- there's so many different elements to, to the, um, to the economy and, I think if we're speaking like particularly to property prices, property prices, they really can't pull back because construction costs have gone gone too high now. And the construction costs can't really come back just because of the way that Australia's set up with importing and because of the cost of, of labor in Australia now and, and how we deliver our construction um, builds. So, you know, I'm I'm a huge advocate for don't be buying for, you know, the one to two year outlook. Um like I said, it's inefficient to buy and sell properties every two years. I think you need to be buying properties that you can afford to hold for five to seven. And if an amazing opportunity comes up to exit in a shorter time period than that, great. But I think you need to be prepared to, to hold for a longer period of time. And um, if, you, if you're looking at the current environment with that view, it's a fantastic time to buy when everybody's nervous, you know, like we all do it, you know, the, the market's going crazy. You can't go to a Sunday barbecue without talking about how hard it is to get into the property market because prices are going through the roof and stuff like that. That's when we all try to buy when we're competing with everyone else. Then the market cools off. Everybody gets scared and there's nobody showing up to auctions. There's nobody bidding at EOIs and stuff like that. Well, then that's the time when we should be buying, but we all get scared at the same time and we miss out on those opportunities. I think there's opportunities in the market for sure at the moment. That's it. And people, People have every right to be scared, I suppose. Like Absolutely. they're dumping a lot of money into this this one investment, and um, it could send them bust. It could it could do whatever. But um, like like you said, I'm a big a big advocate for just jumping in, getting your foot in the door, and it'll take off from there. Yeah, absolutely. Now you're only thirty odd. Now you're thirty years old. Thirty one. Thirty one, yeah. and it's been well documented in the paper and that about your 
the collection of properties you've been able to go? Is it 105 properties? It's probably more now. Uh, to be honest, you know, we, we, we buy and sell pretty, pretty rapidly. So, um, my portfolio goes, goes up and down quite quickly. Um, you know, there'll be, there'll be a time in a, in a few months from now, that one point where I'll have, I'll be holding 70 odd properties in, in one project, but then pretty quickly I'll begin selling those down as well. So it's, it is very up and down. Um, there are, there's a handful of properties that I hold hold long-term and, um, you know, I keep them unencumbered because, you know, I like to have something as a bit of a nest egg there and it's, it's not the most aggressive wealth building strategy, but for me, I'm building wealth through my other businesses. So to be able to move some properties just into a personal portfolio, um, it's not massive, but it's got no debt and they pay me a good income that, um, you know, can, can be there for a rainy day. So yeah. That's very smart. And we've talked about Leadland Developments, Leadland Build, obviously your name is all over everything. How do you go with delegating? Are you a are you a really hands on leader? Are you more a sit back, let others do the work? Um, early days, I was very hands on. Um, I I might be what you would call a micromanager. I might have been, um, but more recently, in in the more recent years, like I just found I've built a team now that I trust, and I think that that is more powerful than anything when when you're talking about delegation. Early days, I built a team who who were incredibly capable, but didn't bond with them uh, as well as I do my team now. I hired for the wrong reasons. You know, I was young, a bit naive, and I was like, that guy's going to be incredible. I'll hire him or she's going to be amazing. I'll hire her. But um, I guess character-wise, we didn't we didn't just align perfectly. And uh, there was a point, it was four or five years ago now, where I nearly had to start fresh with my team just because um, we were delivering great work and, and the business was going right, great. But I was just getting to the point where I was like, just not really enjoying it. So um, downsized the team and then started building up again. And, you know, now the the six employees that I've got are incredible and, you know, we're, we're best of friends. We're like a family and um, it makes it much easier to delegate. And then again, in in very recent times with um, the launch of G Up, you know, my time I've had to, to value uh, a little bit higher. And with that, I've just been forced to delegate things that I probably wouldn't have 12 months ago. We'll, t- we'll go into G app now. Um, obviously, it's a startup. It's a vodka mixed drink. Been on the market for five, six months now. Yeah, we launched in February. So yeah, I think we're in our sixth month of trading now. What was that process like getting getting that beverage ready, ready to go? Obviously, there's lots of standards and regulations in terms of food and drink in this country, and I can sure I'm sure it would be a hassle. How was that planning process? Yeah, I mean, um, alcohol is you know one of the most, or it probably is the most regulated substance, uh, in Australia. Um, so unbeknownst to me when getting into it, I just didn't, I know I was a bit naive to it because it's brand new to the industry. Um, so it was interesting because Troy, um, one of our best mates, he, he came up with this idea a few years ago that he wanted to start this alcohol business. And, um, he was working on it for almost 18 months and it was uh, just over two years ago now. Was at a birthday party of mine and it was late at night and we were in no state to be talking about business, but we were. And um, the boys and I were in a spa and Troy was like, guys, I'm going to throw in the towel with the alcohol business. It's just got too many things on my plate. It's more challenging. He was having a real hard time with licensing and stuff like that. We said, no, nah, no, nah, we'll give you a hand. You can't, you know, you've come <laughs> too far. And he's like, nah, I don't want any hands out. And he's like, oh, what if we just went into business and we started it together? So um, then and there, it might've been early hours in the morning. Um, <laughs> and we had said, a few yeah and- we'd had a few and we said yeah we'll do it and 
uh, the next the next afternoon when we all got up, I was like, are we actually, was that was that piss talk last night? Are we actually doing this? Like, no, no, we're doing it. So um, it was about 18 months from there before we we launched and, um, you know, quite an incredible journey of um, how we're going to set this business up, who's going to be involved, who's going to be doing what. And, you know, in an industry where nobody had any clue what the fuck they were doing, um, it was just an amazing learning curve. And, you know, we've, we've had really cool success really early on. Um, we're set to celebrate our first million dollar month in July. So um, it was to be a side business that the boys would just, you know, chuck a bit of cash in and we can drink our own drink and it'd be a cool thing to do to now, you know, it's a substantial business and um, got pretty high hopes for it. And you've all been successful in your own businesses, different ventures in life to come together and be working with, was it five of you, four of your best mates? Yeah. How's that dynamic been? To be honest, at the start, it was hell. Like it was really challenging just because we hadn't done that before. We all come from businesses where we didn't have, you know, um, business partners, you know, like, like we would in this business. So, um, at the start it was very challenging and we just, we put the work in, we had, you know, some really hard conversations. We're, we're such a close friendship group. I think, which I think definitely helped if we weren't such great friends, either the, the business opportunity we would have had to let go or the friendship would have sort of fallen apart. But the way it's worked out, it's just brought us all closer together. So we had some hard, hard conversations at the start, set some ground rules and just sort of really learned to work with each other. And, um, now to be honest, it doesn't even feel like business, you know, like, especially we go away, we travel often for, for these events that we're doing when we're activating stores around the, the country and stuff. And, does not feel like work at all. Like we have to pull ourselves up. We're like, guys, you know, we need to take it easy. We've got, got to remember this is, this is business. You hear so many horror, horror stories about working with mates and working with, or going into business with mates and family and how you can, you can lose your friendships, but it's really awesome to hear the other side of the story where you continue to, to thrive with each other and um, create something that's going to be quite special. I've, to be honest, like in my experience and, and what I've seen and, and what I've been involved in, if you go into business with an okay mate, you'll either lose the business or you'll lose the friendship. But if you're going to business with, you know, really good friends that you can have direct and hard conversations with, then I think like that's what you should be doing because there's nobody you can trust more. There's nobody who's going to work harder and care more about the outcome than, you know, than your close mates. So I, I, you know, I'll be negotiating deals and I'll have in the back of my head, the boys, sons and stuff like that, you know, and I'm thinking that's pretty much my nephew, you know, they call me uncle and like, that's playing in the back of my mind. And it, yeah. it definitely drives me to work harder. And, um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's more exciting to be around when you're doing it with people really close to you. Yeah. That's awesome. And what took you down the, the vodka, uh, mixer path, not, not beer, not gin, not scotch. What, uh, took you down this line? It's, um, it's interesting because I have to be so careful about it, what I say, because I, I know like the regulators see everything that we're doing at the moment, but, but with what I can say is vodka is so much cleaner than uh, any other spirit um, that you mentioned there, cleaner than beer without hops and stuff like that. So the idea was the the five founders behind the business lead very busy lives. We don't have time to be hungover. So we created a drink that was cleaner. Um, it was, I can't say healthier, but it had less harmful substances. So less sugar, less of artificial nasties and stuff like that um, to create a clean drink that was... Um, as easy on the taste buds as it is on the next morning after. I was very fortunate. You sent me out a, a box of them and I tried a few. My favorite was probably the, uh, the raspberry one. Oh, so yeah? That went down really well. Yep. I'm not encouraging drinking either, but <laughs> this is a, uh, a day off in the off season. Um, but no, the, the taste is amazing. And um, are they in most stores now? Yeah. So um, we're, we're right at that point of, of rolling out. So I think um, 
Well, our plan is to be in 2,000 stores before Christmas. Um, at the moment, it is it is very select stores. We just haven't been able to supply, um, keep up with <laughs> with the demand. So, um, but it's we're not a bad issue. Though. Yeah, it is. It's just been it's been such a bizarre bizarre start to a business to have so much demand from day one and have supply being the limiting factor. So, but uh, we're increasing supply and we're rolling out nationally at the moment. And you're someone who likes to set goals and little tasks. I watched your Instagram videos. There was times where you're having cold showers every morning and um, you're trying different supplements and what was it? Goats? Go, uh, goat colostrum. Goat yeah. colostrum. Do you know what colostrum yeah. is? No idea. It's uh, it's the first bit of lactate out of a mother goat's nipple. So it's like this creamy, yeah, I'm <laughs> describing it for the audience. They're all crawling up now. I'm going to yeah. take that because I'm not going to taste it. Yeah, yeah, no. Nah. It's... um. Yeah, it's the first bit of milk that comes out of a nipple before the milk, like the creamy, pussy stuff. And what benefits is it supposed to have? Massive, supposed to have massive immune immune system benefits. Um, really good for gut health, really good for hormone regulation and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, I just went, I went down six months of like just incredibly health focused. I did six months uh, with no alcohol. So this was before G-Up. I said to the boys, <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to drink until launch this business. So it was almost like a motivator too, to, to bring that fast forward that. So no alcohol, no coffee, no, no drugs of any sort, not even fucking Panadol or Nurofen or anything like that. Just cut, you know, every nasty move to like, uh, no artificials in my toothpaste, deodorant, <laughs> like everything, that shampoo. Extreme, yeah. yeah. And then I had about 13 to 14 different supplements that I was taking a handful of times a day. Did my bloods every six weeks to um, monitor my blood levels and uh, monitored my screen time, had structured sun exposure, you know, water <laughs> goals, cold showers, meditation, just went like as hard as I could with uh, with everything just to, I guess, see if I could take my health to another level. And it was something where I was like, I can do this for six months. I don't think I can sustain this forever, you know, like ticking all these individual boxes every day. But I was like, I can raise my standard to to the next level and and see how that holds me moving forward. And yeah, I'm definitely, definitely grateful. It was a really cool experience. I think that's a great indicator just listening to that and especially for the listener too about how disciplined you are. And um, if you put your mind to something, you'll go 100% at it. And obviously that's why you've been able to succeed in in two different businesses so far. We'll talk about goals before before we got onto the colostrum. Where do you see uh, G up in three years, five years, ten years? What's the forecast? Um, to be honest, I think in three years we will be a very close rival to who you would imagine our biggest competitor is at the moment, <laughs> and like we're already on their map. You know, we have people that are doing business with them or or at their events, and they've told us that they're in an Uber with these reps from our competitor, like, and they're on Instagram watching our stuff being like, fuck, look at what they've done because, you know, we started that um, hashtag. Well, we didn't start it. Somebody <laughs> started it and we sort of rolled with it, like the hashtag fuck cruiser movement and stuff like that. And like there was heaps of our audience were doing, you know, were tipping out cruisers and throwing them in the bin <laughs> and stuff like that. And like that was seeing all that. And so I think um, it's it's funny early days because we're a small business and we have a really strong following, which is amazing. But I think in in two or three years we'll we'll be doing you know that the their numbers or if not bigger. So um, that's where we've set our sights to. And you obviously to beat them, you'll have to take it overseas. Have you got avenues for that, or is that something you're still figuring out on the go? Yeah, we we've um, we've formed relationships with New Zealand first, and um, we've actually got some relationships in Indonesia. Um, so we're we're exploring that early days, but. 
Australia's a massive market. Um, you know, we we drink a lot in Australia, so we just want to get our foothold here first and, um, you know, walk before we run. But, um, yeah, we'll definitely take it international in time. And we're speaking um, just before we, we went on air about your little cavoodles at home. They're always um, getting a mention and getting a show on your stories. Uh, what was the what was the reason behind getting those? Um, to be honest, I think it was it was almost as much a mental health play as it was like a a random, I guess, purchase. Because I went to a my solicitor puts on a, a lunch and every now and again, and it's just a heap of. Um, old rich white dudes drinking uh, <laughs> wine and me just swirling wine, pretending I know what I'm doing. But one of them was um, some sort of like holistic health professional and he he made a few examples about how the Western health system has gone too far in the direction of you need medication, you need this, you need that. And one example he used was he was like, you know, you're not suffering from nausea, you just need to chew gum and walk outside or something like that. And that went over my head. But then he's like, you're not suffering from depression. You just need a dog. And I was like, I'm like, I'm not suffering from depression, but if a dog's going to make me happier, maybe that's something I should look at. And, um, yeah, bought a cavoodle and it was, um, it was the best thing I ever did. I think we had, um, we had Willow, which is the older one. Um, and which Willow Avenue at Springvale business park is, um, a street named after her, which is, which that's is unbelievable. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then 12 months later we got a second one. So, um, you know, she could have a friend, which is Franklin. And like I was saying earlier, I was petrified of dogs going up. I couldn't go near them. I'd go to a mate's house. Have you got a dog? Can you put it outside? And um, it wasn't until my family actually bought a little Cavoodle. And I think they're the best dogs to start with because they just show so much love. And yeah. They're so gentle. They uh, are. They are amazing. certainly amazing helped. And you can have as bad a day as you want. And you walk in that door and they greet you like it's you're the best thing that's ever happened to them. And um, yeah, it's such, a, such an amazing thing. Obviously, you said it was a little bit of a like a little impulse, per- not an impulse purchase, yeah, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. And um, you also love your cars. You've got a few cars here and there, and you've got aspirations to buy bigger and better ones. Yeah, yeah, definitely, um, definitely a car fan. Um, to be honest, I I haven't pursued cars as much as I probably could have. It's been like a little bit of a discipline thing for me. You've been like, I'll hit this goal, I'll buy this car, I'll hit another goal, I'll buy another car, and then it's like you know, do I need more cars yet? Is it going to distract me from, you know, my other, my other focuses? So, um, yeah, I think there's, there's, I haven't bought a car in, in a few or a couple of years now. So, um, might be almost time to, to buy something else. <laughs> Perfect. What, what's your go-to? What would be your dream car? Oh, I think my next car will be, um, I think it's got to be a 488. I've been, been talking about it for so long now and it's been on the vision board for a little while, but, um, I don't think I have a, a dream car as such long-term. I think it's just, being able to have a dream garage, you know, yeah, yeah something Rolls <laughs> Royce for the weekend, yeah, some some track cars for for racing. So, yeah, it's um, it's definitely an expensive hobby, but um, I enjoy it. And you've got your girlfriend Jessie. You two both seem to be pretty successful. She seems pretty successful at what she does. Where did you two meet? And we um we met in a in a bar of all places, which is um, I hear, I feel like I hear. Tinder and Instagram is the only how did you meet story nowadays. But um, we met, I think, six years ago. Um, we're in a we're in a bar slash nightclub thing, and um, we're having a bit of a dance. And I asked if I could buy her a drink, and um, she mistakenly said yes. And um, <laughs> we became friends after that. We we talked for a few months, and then I think maybe six months after talking, uh, we went on a date, and the, the rest is history. We're recently engaged, so um, congratulations, thank you. So yeah, but she's she's an amazing girl. And you both seem to align very strongly. You both seem very motivated, very determined, driven, 
um, it's incredible to find someone so similar, I suppose. Yeah, I think um, like we definitely have similar nature and um, like you say, she's she's very driven, very ambitious, but I think environment plays a massive part on it too and I think maybe it's a it's a little bit underrated, um, you know, being, being in, when you put people of similar nature into a, a positive environment, you really bounce off each other and, um, you know, early days, Jesse would be like, wow, you, you know, you work a lot and you've got massive goals and stuff like that. And, and now like, I'm like, you're doing a lot of business, like you're doing some big numbers and like, you've got some big goals too. So you really just, you feed off each other and you support each other. And and I think like, yeah, it's definitely been cool to, to look back on that too. And you two have recently started a podcast together as well. So Jesse has her podcast. She's, um, She's welcomed me unbeknowingly to me, but um, she's 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 welcomed me on her podcast a couple of times. So yeah, she's um she's had some pretty cool guests on there too. Beautiful, and you had a bit of practice for today, which is, which is good. Yeah, yeah. we wrap it up there. We've obviously spoken about all different avenues, and like I said, I couldn't give you more credit for the success you've had, and it's no surprise with your determination, your willingness to work hard, and ability to throw yourself a hundred percent into what you, you do. Yeah. Um, can't leave without touching on on the sponsors ringers western obviously i got their their what's this a sweater on or Mate, you gotta get qu- me one of those quarters if i yeah i'll yeah. have one of those yeah you could take one of these i actually left the uh the little stockpile of them in the mother car oh, no. <laughs> that's all right yeah obviously thank you to ringers western if you haven't already head on to ringerswestern.com and and check out them they've got an amazing range of clothes and um they also sell coolers they've had uh, collaborations with Bundaberg Rum. They've they've done some amazing stuff. We might have to get a collaboration with uh, GR yeah, next. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, thank you also to Braden and Roland Media. It's obviously a great setup they've got here. How do you like the van, Oscar? Yeah, mate. Um, unbelievable. I haven't done a podcast from a van before, but um, <laughs> it was it was not what I was expecting. But it's it's definitely served its purpose. I think it's great. Yeah, it's an amazing setup, and and thanks for that, Braden. Before we leave, I've got to ask you one question. We we ask all the guests. Um, you're having your next birthday, so next big birthday, I should say it's your 40th. This is forecasting down the track a lot, but okay. um, money isn't an issue. You can get two acts to come play from anywhere in the world. Um, you've got a seven to 10 slot and a 10 to late slot. Which two musicians or acts are you getting to play? Whoa. It's a big question. I wish I'd uh, I'd done some some homework on this <laughs> one. What are your two? Jeez, no one's actually asked me that yet. Oh, well, I'm just buying myself some time. So. <laughs> no, I'd probably start with like a Coldplay, a few... A few guests have said Coldplay, so I reckon that'd be really good to set the mood seven till 10. And then um, I'd certainly have a DJ on, whether it was Kelvin Harris, David Guetta, Dom Dollar, Martin Garrix. I'd certainly finish with that. I would, um, I reckon I'd start with like Ricky Gervais or Kevin Hart, like a comedian. You'd have a comedian. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Like two, you don't want two musicians. Yeah, that is, uh, yeah, yeah um, that's innovative. Yeah. Yeah. So I reckon definitely comedian to start and then like, like you said, a DJ, a bit of house music just to to finish the night off. <laughs> there we go. That's it. Oh, beautiful. Lock it in. I really like that. We haven't had anyone say a comedian yet, but I think that'd be that'd be a great start. Thank you again for coming on, Oscar. It's been a, a pleasure getting to know you and uh, looking forward to my, my factory being finished. <laughs> Absolutely, mate. It's on time. Don't worry. It's, it's on, on time. It's on time and um, the build's within budget. So Yeah, beautiful. I've been waiting just for that next email saying, yo, this much more money. So um, <laughs> It'll come. It'll I'll come. wait until that comes. But until then, um, hope everything else succeeds and you continue to, to do as well as you are going. Thank you, mate. I appreciate you having me on. Thank you to everyone for watching. Um, if you haven't already, head on to the socials, YouTube, Spotify, uh, Apple Music and like, share, follow, all that sort of stuff. Um, it really, re- I really appreciate it and it helps the podcast continue to grow. So until then, we'll see you then. Yeah.